Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. So my guest today on Talk Design is a great friend of mine, Cinder Lester. Cinder is from Chicago and she has a wonderful architectural practice which she's a lake whisperer and when I talk about lake whispering and stories and how her architecture evolves and what her client focus is, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. So Cinder, welcome to Talk Design and you can intro yourself a little more if you like, Um, but welcome and let's talk stories and architecture. Hey, great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Tell me, tell me first of all, where in Chicago, like, so you're, you're in Chicago now, but I know that you've lived all around America and stuff and, and that. Tell me where you kind of started when the seed of architecture was, uh, you know, implanted in you and why you ended up in Chicago out of all the places you could have been. <laughs> Well, both of my parents primarily grew up in the Chicago area, so it's you know sort of not a surprise that I am still here. Um, my mom's family lived here in Chicago their whole lives, uh, primarily, and my grandmother's father was an architect for the city of Chicago. And so even though we have always lived in suburban Chicago and we've moved around, we've lived, you know, north, south, west, we lived everywhere. Um, My grandmother would always go to the city to the big department store, which was called Marshall Fields. Um, And so we would go downtown and and go shopping and she would go get her hair done at Marshall Fields. And as we were going, whether we were driving or taking the train or walking, she would always say, oh, here's here's a building that Bubba designed. That was what her father was called, Bubba. Um, Or here's a fire station or here's the building that we used to live. And and even as a preschooler, I remember thinking that is just awesome that, you know, at that time, 50 years later, now 100 years later, that I could walk down the street and physically put my hands on a building that my great grandfather had thought up and drawn and designed, and I could walk into it and touch it was just awe-inspiring to me. And there's not really a lot of professions where you get that sort of longevity of, of, you know, something that you created. And so my grandmother, having grown up with an architect as her dad, was always very interested in buildings and architecture and would point things out. And so the culture of going to the city was always very big with her. Um, And then it was for for my mother as well. So always, you know, did everything she could to foster that sort of education. Um, How cool. You know, you, you say about being able to go and actually touch something that they created and you know, often people's work and toil and all the rest doesn't ever show up like that. It, right. As you say, it's like, it is a how cool thing. I remember you know, when I first, um, I, I used to design clothing, and when I first ever saw someone wearing one of my pieces of clothing that I had no idea who they were, I'm just, you know, in the street and going, no way, I want to run up and, 
<clears throat> you know, touch them and talk to right. them. Right. And when I first ever saw a building that I designed that time, it wasn't a renovation, it was all from my piece of paper. Again, it's like, yeah, you want to, you want it, it's special, you know? Yeah. You, you, I, I drive yeah. past it every now and then and I go, oh, how cool is that? <laughs> well, and, and we do the same thing. It's funny because when I first started my business, 1212 Architects, um, I actually was pregnant with our first child, with our son, Cooper. Um, and my business really started taking off when they were toddlers. And so when we would be driving around town or the suburbs, um, they would they would always ask, is that a mama house? Is that a mama house? And so I would have to drive them past the houses that are mama's houses. And uh, it's funny, my kids are in high school now. My son will be uh, 17 in a couple of days. And we still know those houses as, oh, this is the street with a mama house on it. <laughs> And I love it. I love it. It it must be sort of like, you know, a musician feels the first time they hear their song on the radio or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or even more so when somebody covers it. Yeah. Can you imagine that? That must just be like mind blowing when they hear a cover (laughs) of it. They go, whoa, listen to that. Yeah. Um, One of the things with your grandfather being an architect, great grandfather, sorry, being an architect, how many of those buildings can you still go and touch? Is there many left? There aren't a lot left of them. I would say there's there's maybe five or ten that I know about, um, and there's a sh- I'm sure that there are others that just rec- you know records are lost to the ages, um, yeah, but there yeah. are definitely some that are still out there and still being used. Yeah, how cool is that? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So, so he would have been around the same time, maybe just pre Frank Lloyd Wright. So, you know, it's funny that you say that because my great-grandfather knew Frank Lloyd Wright, although they did not work together ever. Um, They did know of each other. And a lot of the time, my great-grandfather, he had his own private practice, as my grandmother would say. He hung out a shingle and uh, he did his own own private work. But for a lot of the time that he worked, he actually worked for the city of Chicago. And so he he worked... um, you know, doing a lot of schools and fire stations and, you know, public work. Yeah, public works. Yeah. Um, and so that's how he knew Frank Lloyd Wright was through that connection. Um, but yeah. I am so fortunate being in suburban Chicago with Oak Park being right here that that's another, you know, facet of my childhood that I we were always, you know, going to look at at Wright buildings, um, home and studio. So you would do that? Mm-hmm. You would do that. You would, as as growing up, you would yeah. go and look at his works. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and not just as part of, you know, school trips. And certainly, we had school field trips that were yeah. to go, you know, look at various buildings. And I definitely was fortunate in that I attended a private school because it was a demonstration school at the university that my mom was a dean at. And uh-huh. so I definitely had, you know, that fortunate. We did things that, you know, a lot of kids in public schools weren't doing. But just because of the proximity, that there's so much fantastic architecture, right and otherwise, in Chicago. Well, I, I was just about to say, wouldn't it have been an awful time to be an architect, to be, to try and make a name for yourself when you had Frank Lloyd Wright? overshadowing 
um, you know, the world's architecture, if not, maybe not the world at that point, but um, certainly America's architecture. Well, um, definitely. Although, you know, it's funny, he really wasn't super famous until he was in no. his 60s, really. It was after Falling Water that he became super famous. Exactly. Yeah. But even just being an architect in Chicago in a city that was primarily ruined by the Great Chicago Fire in yeah. 1971, I mean, everything was new, right? And then you, but there was a lot of opportunity. There, there. Was a, there was a lot of opportunity. There was the invention of the elevator. Um, and mm-hmm. those two. Skyscraper. Exactly. Really, mm-hmm. really changed Chicago to be a feature architecture city. And so growing up in that environment um, was just so fantastic because I not only had parents who had an eye for and were interested in architecture, but it was just so easy to get to. Um, yeah. and, and so, you know, that made my appreciation for architecture so much easier um, it just as it is for my children, because I care about architecture and we drive places and we, we visit places where architecture is a feature. And so yeah. they're seeing it whether they want to or not. Um, <laughs> but because it's so close, that really makes things so much easier. Well, yeah. And, and you know, as you say, like with Chicago, um, I haven't been there a lot, but I have been there, you know, several times. And, and one of the things that you really notice there, especially in the city, there is a, a lot of great architecture. It's a it's a well designed space, and, mm-hmm. and and you know people really showed off. It would be like the Dubai of um, right. of, of of what America was at the time, and then really New York as well was just. But that wasn't in competition, you know, right. because there's right. so much distance between them, and there was so much money in the steel era that um, Chicago would have done fan- fabulously from that era as well. Right. Like, you know, well, and Pittsburgh. The, and- right, exactly. And the other thing that, you know, really was a focus to me is this private school that I went to. Um, it's called the Baker Demonstration School, which was originally affiliated with National College of Education, which is now National Lewis University and has campuses all over. Um, But their campus was in Wilmette, which is just north of Chicago, um, one of the immediately north suburbs. And I drove by every day on our way to school, the Baha'i Temple. So I don't know if you're familiar with the Baha'i Temple. And one of the most incredible, stunning, beautiful pieces of architecture in the world Um, and that was just the background of my trip back and forth to school every day. Um, and just to to have that. But it never lost its magic. Oh, never, never. I still go there and I'm just in awe every time I drive there. And it's funny when I, I do a lot of, um, career days telling my story to students from yeah. kindergarten through college, but um, primarily middle school and and junior high and high school. But one of the things that I that I really stress in my career day talks is that you need to pay attention to your surroundings because I'm still very, very good friends with my group of friends who graduated from Baker with me. And, you know, they went by the Baha'i Temple every day too. And there were only 12 of us in that class in eighth grade. And we talk, you know, all the time. Um, 
but they don't, they never appreciated it the same way that I did because they didn't have an interest in architecture. And so that's one of the things when I, when I'm talking to students is to say, look, you really need to pay attention to your surroundings because I guarantee that there's fantastic architecture around you if you just look, right? If you just look. If yeah, you if just you look. Just, and, that, yeah. and that that needs to be part of the story of figuring out their story. And so I always, you know, talk about my story and how, you know, I came to be an architect and my path to architecture. And that's very different than my husband's, for example, who is also an architect. And the oh, other yeah, I was going to bring that up. I was going to bring that up. Your kids don't have much hope, do they? No, and actually, my daughter is is looking at architecture schools for college, and my son will probably, you know, be building models for us and 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 doing yeah. things like that as well. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Well, one of the things that's so awesome about that is that that story could have died out if right. um if you if you hadn't had the love of it. Right. And if it hadn't bitten you and held on to you, that story could have disappeared. And chances are that story is going to go multi-generational um, with this influence like that you're putting on it. And, you know, like you think of your great grandfather doing public works um, and I'm sure he did houses as well, but they yeah. usually don't have quite the longevity of um, public works. Then you go, what a legacy story that falls in, right. you know, from this top piece of it. And then it just keeps layering in. Right. And in a couple of hundred years, imagine what that story will sound like then. Well, like, and it, exactly. And I really think it does come back to the stories, which all come back to the relationships and the emotion and the connection. Because, for example, my grandmother was very close with her father. And so she, I think, had that appreciation and love for architecture, even though she had no interest in being an architect. She could appreciate the buildings and traveled the world and was always interested in architecture because of her closeness with her father. Her sister, on the other hand, couldn't care less about architecture. And it was partially just because of their relationship differences. And none of her offspring have turned into architects or in any sort of design relation at all. But because my grandmother was close with her father and my mother was close with her mother, that's how it, it, it sort of all came out of all those relationships. And I really think that's, you know, how, how it happens really it's all well, this, it's about the relationships to tell the story so let's take that and go um let's talk about your specialty which is is lake homes and um, lake whispering and talk about how tell me tell me about how that stories um of you know your water as i know you call it mm-hmm. um your water um Tell me how those stories, when you're working with clients and around that environment, how they how they come together, and how that story about the traditions of those families um, gets put into built form. You know, right. their stories. Right. They they could be songs, they could be poems, they could be paintings. How the hell do they become architecture? Well, you know, I think very much the same way. So my great grandfather bought a lake summer cottage uh, in southern Wisconsin. So he did that when my grandmother was a toddler, maybe. So 
18 or so, I think. My grandmother was born wow. in 1915. So, you know, it's funny because uh, Chicago area is pretty much split with vacationers. You either go north to Wisconsin or you go east to Michigan. And we were part of the head north to Wisconsin uh folks. And so my grandmother, even as a child, they spent their whole summers in this lake cottage. Uh, and that's what they did. And she, and so, so when you say they spent their whole summers, is this like on a golden pond kind of stuff? Yes. This is, um, yeah. On Golden Pond is so close to my family history life, you wouldn't even believe it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So literally my grandmother and her sister, the day after school got out and they lived in the city um, yeah. for the summer, for summer vacation, they packed up and they moved to the lake house for the summer and they would spend the whole summer there and then come down for school to start again in the fall. And they, that's just what they did. They lived their whole summer in Wisconsin. Um, and so they would have had like two very distinct sets of friends then as well. They would have had city yes. friends yes, as they well had, as lake friends. Exactly. They had city friends and lake friends. And it's funny because that's how my grandparents actually ended up getting married is because my grandfather was a city friend and he was okay. kind of always, you know, the boy that was hanging around the neighborhood and, uh, you know, he had, he drove when he had was a bit well. of swagger. Yes, he swagger. did. And, and basically he was very, very persistent and he was very handy. He could fix anything. So there you often, go. That was a foot in the door. Exactly. So oftentimes in the summer, when my grandmother and her parents and her grandparents would be up at the yeah. house, um, but my great grandfather was in the city working. If something broke or something needed to be fixed, my grandfather would hop in his car and he would drive all the way, which there, you know, back then and those cars probably, you know, would have taken um three or four hours where it would take me less than two now, but he right. would go up there and sort of make, make himself useful to fix things or, you know, chop down a tree or pull weeds or do whatever. And, you know, you do that for enough years, they're just going to marry you in the end. And that's what sooner happened. Or later, yeah. Sooner <laughs> or later, they're going to let you, let you in. Exactly. And that's, and that's exactly what happened. Um, and so we have that kind of story and that family history with which, as I say, yes, that's my water. So that lake, yeah. those lakes, Lauderdale Lakes in Wisconsin, which about 20 miles over the Illinois state line into Wisconsin. Uh -huh. So not far from us at all. But that's our water. My family history yeah. in that water. There have been now seven generations of my family who swam in that water. And so wow. that's a big deal for me, right? And that house and that land and, you know, that little island that has those trees. And I remember when they put the flagpole up over there and, you know, all of those kinds of things that I remember even from my life. My mother yes. has, has those same. Has, has the same backup stories as well exactly. and, and, and back. Exactly. And so does my grandmother because my grandmother started going up there as a young child. So... so so when that when that um, turns into architecture, does that mean that it's just so rooted in tradition that you you daren't break the mold, or you know, do you go up there and draw a modernist brutalist box, and and that's the end of your water story? What, what what's that well, like? Is there like a set of story points that? everybody's looking for you know we were talking before about um 
about that piano white Christmas story, mm -hmm. you know, that you were saying about one of your clients. So it, when you get to the lake, is there like a, a you know, I don't know, a constraint maybe um, that says honor this place as it is? Or is there city ordinance that says you all have to honor this place as it is? Well, yes and no. So I think a lot of people who are lake people choose to be at the lake as opposed to, you know, waterfront on Lake Michigan or on Michigan Avenue looking over Lake Michigan in the city or beachfront in Miami, right? They're different kind of water and they're different kind of water people. And so the experiences that most people have at the lake, I think, are generally sort of a, around those same kinds of stories, even if they don't have a hundred years of history on yes, that water. History, yeah. It's the same sort of experience. And so I think a lot of architecture ends up being fairly similar because they're recreating that same sort of history. Now that sure. said, if a client came to me and wanted, you know, a concrete box, brutalist architecture, modern, modern architecture, I wouldn't, you wouldn't be, be the one who would do it. No. Well, <laughs> maybe it's it's not that I wouldn't necessarily be the one to do it. It's that I'd want to tell their story. And is their story really a concrete box? And maybe their grandfather was, you know, a concrete guy. And so that's really important to them. But that's really my goal is trying to figure out everyone's individual story. So, for example, you know, my grandmother had this little balcony. It was probably, I don't know, four feet wide at most that was off the back yeah, of the right. house so that looked over the tiny. lake. Tiny. Yeah. Um, and she loved nothing more than going and sitting on the balcony with her cocktail, you know, as the sun was going down and watching all, you know, all the boats and the skiers and the swimmers, you know, sort of go in yeah. for the night. And that was her favorite thing to do. And as a kid, I thought, Graham, can we turn on the TV or this is so boring or, you know, whatever. As an adult, of course, I would kill for that <laughs> quiet exactly. balcony cocktail time. Yeah. Um, but if I were to design a house on the lake, you can be dang sure that I would absolutely have a balcony that would allow me to do that, that exact same thing. And partially it's because of the view and the location of the environment, but it's also because it's part of my story. And it's because of my grandmother, which she probably did because my, my great grandfather, I'm sure, did the exact same thing, sat on her balcony looking over the water. And so that's part of my story. So I have to figure out from my clients what their story is. Uh-huh. So with that story, like um, figuring out their story, if they're from the lake and it's been their water for a while versus brand new at the lake, um, how does that change? How does that? And people are looking for certain values, I suppose, by going to the lake as well. Sure. But how does it change when you deal with one that's, say, new at the lake versus the other? Well, it gets a little bit trickier, honestly, when you have that history at the water already, because there's so much emotion and connection to that particular house, that particular waterfront. So, for example, when my grandfather needed help, my family house that had been, you know, in our family for 100 years had to be sold um, so that my grandfather could go into assisted living. And that, of course, killed me. It broke me. Um, but at the time, I was young and didn't have enough money to buy the house on my own. And so it was sold to somebody else. 
they came in and completely remodeled the house. Um, so they remodeled that house in ways that I never would have done personally, not that it didn't need a new bathroom and it didn't need an updated kitchen, but they, they removed parts of that house that were important to me because they weren't important to them. So I never would have changed the stairs, even though it was a winder stair, which is tight on a corner, you know, with the angled stairs. But I never would have changed that because my great grandfather designed that. And that was the only way they could get it to fit in that space. And so I would have dealt with having to have a winder stair because that was something that my great grandfather had done in that house. Um, so there's, you would have lived around, you would have lived around exactly. history because it meant something to you. Exactly. And there are things that I would not have put the addition where these new folks put the addition because they had to take down a tree that, that my brother and I planted. And so gotcha. to them, it was just another tree that was in the way. Whereas to me, I would have worked around that tree. Because that was something that I physically put in the ground as a sapling with my grandmother. And so there's a lot more complication when you're dealing with that family history of story. But that's uh, that's also when you really get to know your people. Exactly. And you get to dig those stories out. And 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 that's the magic. Exactly. And sometimes people say, yeah, I planted that tree with my brother. And so I don't want to put an addition there. And so we need to work around it. And other times people say, okay, yes, I planted that tree with my brother, but I really need the kitchen addition there. Let's plant a new tree with my son. And that will be a beginning of a new portion of my family history and my family story. I certainly see those things too. Exactly. Like lots of that, you know, where people go, well, can we, can we knock that down and keep the wood? Can we do this with it? Can we, how can we better use that? Because we still want the space we're going to live in. Exactly. And, and so much of that just comes from, you know, figuring out what your priorities are and what your importance um, factors are in the house. So the way I remember the house is not the way the house was when my great grandfather bought it, because at one point it was an original you know, summer cottage only. There was no heat that had a sleeping porch, you know, that was a screened in porch and that was it. And that's how my mother remembers it as a child is this huge screened in porch. Well, when I was... That's where everybody kind of stayed, eh? That's where you would all... You sort of had beds that would be up against the wall around the porch. You got it. But when I was maybe five years old, when my grandparents had bought the house and they were ready to retire and make this this their forever house and not live in Illinois anymore, they converted all that space into finished living space. So what my mother remembers as a sleeping porch, I remember as my grandmother's enormous living room and dining room space with windows on three sides. And so they enclosed that and remodeled it. So even my own, even our memories throughout our own family story are different based on our experiences in the time period. And, you know, and and so I work that way with clients as well is it doesn't have to be the same story over that hundred years. Every story ends up with new chapters, so that's the jo- that's the joy of this story. Right. You know, in in Queensland, there's a a very sort of set um, building style of Queenslanders. That's mm-hmm. what we call the kind of house, and it's um, based off probably a Victorian model more than anything. 
um, but it's a, a house that kind of has rooms on either side and a central hallway and almost like Americans call a dog trot, but it's not a dog trot. Okay. It, it, you go through the front door and then they're separated off either side and then it will have a veranda and the more money you had, the more veranda you probably had. Sure. And you'll see so many closed in verandas and when I say they're closed in, they're often just closed in with like colored glass and, you know, windows and stuff. Mm -hmm. And as the houses grew as such, that veranda would actually be filled with um, beds and they'd become bedrooms. And often when you're doing a remodel on, on one of those homes, you'll be like, yeah, these are all, these once were ver verandas. And um, then they got closed in and then they, went from being closed into that you walk through a room to get to another room. Right. Um, and then, you know, they, they, they evolve. And in New Zealand, there's a, a style that's like a, a villa. We call it a villa and it's, um, it, it is Victorian, comes from the Victorian area era. And it's, um, it's similar in its makeup to what a Queenslander is, except a Queenslander was always built well off the ground. So the air would flow underneath it right. to help it keep cool. And they'd only have one thickness of wall. So they'd have frame and then there'd be only one side clad with timber. Oh, so okay. And, and, and it's hot here. So right. it would be hot and if it's cold, it would be cold, you know, like very thin sort of um, what we call lightweight, lightweight sure. construction <laughs> now. <laughs> but they were always off the ground to allow air to flow underneath them. Um, and so like those nuances of things like that, like, you know, in the lakes, I'm sure there's a whole lot of those little stories as well that sure. kind of fill the tradition of what a home is like or right. what a building is like. Right. Um, whereas nowadays everybody wants it flat on the ground so that they right. can get a six star plus rating and it's, um, it's, it's rating goes up so much with it being on a concrete slab and, you know, you can get the performance from the building at a better economic cost. It's, yeah, and the story sure. goes on again. Sure. Yeah. Well, and there's and there's a huge difference too in you know even where you're building on the lake. So even on Lauderdale Lakes, they were originally um, well in Wisconsin and lots of areas they're called kettles because they were carved out essentially by glaciers. And so yeah, right. So they're spring there's they're spring fed lakes, but so there are some properties that are right at essentially at lake level. That's what my grandparents' house was. Uh -huh. Um and they, you know, back from when that house was originally built in nineteen hundred, it was, you know, fifteen feet from the lakefront. Um, very wow. flat. Yes, it was fantastic. But yeah. go three houses west because of the way that the the landscape was cut out by glacier, the house is probably a hundred feet above the lake level. And so, and, and the direction that my grandmother's house faced, she loved it because that was the way that the predominant breeze blew in in the late afternoon. Of course. So yeah. almost never did my grandmother turn the air conditioning on in the house because there was always lake breeze coming. But uh -huh. if you had built on the other side of the lake, it would have been very different. And you would have had, you know, all the morning sun instead of the afternoon sun and where the trees are located makes a difference. And even just, you know, depending on which side of the lake that you're on and where your house sits in relation to the water certainly makes a huge difference in how your house is going to be heated and cooled and shaded and where your access yeah. points need to be. And, you know, there's a lot of houses that, that 
are so high on the hill, but when you're when you're driving past, they look like a little tiny one-story shack, but you're not knowing that it's three floors down cut into the hillside on the wow. other side. You can't see it from the road. But when you see oh, really? it from the water, you're seeing a full, you know, three stories of balconies and glass. And but but from the road, you just don't see it because it's cut into the hill. Um, I love that. And so there's so that. much of that that comes into play. Again, whether you're dealing with an existing, you know, story, an existing home, an existing spot on the lake, or whether you're trying to design that from scratch. And so yeah. when you're dealing with a new family, you have to, it, it's, you have to figure out what their story is going to be. And some of it, they may come come to it with, oh, I always wanted to have a kitchen that overlooked the water because someone else in my family had a waterfront kitchen someplace else. Or they may be right. brand new to lake life and they just want to you know, take advantage of the beautiful views. Or they may have... You know, this may be their their second home and they have 18 grandchildren. And so going back sort of to the the sleeping porches, the bunk rooms, those kinds of things are hugely important because they know and they want the whole family to come to be with them. You know, you know that's something it. that's really I just um, I love that. That's something that's so uh, like. It, it, it's a it's a family and a family into the community kind of thing, you know, like, so it's ex family, extended family. Do you know, I don't think, I can't remember the last time I designed a bunk room for a house. Yeah. And, and it happens all I, the time. Every lake house has a bunk room. I just, because, because what a special know. thing. You know that everyone's going to come and stay. Now, of course, bigger houses, of course, they do, you know, yeah, private rooms. guest rooms. Yeah. And but, but I can't tell you how many folks specifically want a bunk room. So, well, I was, I, it's such a storytelling time for kids. Well, and, and, and well, do you want to sleep in your own bedroom or do you want to be in the bunk room? I want to be on the top bunk and I want to be here. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, at my grandmother's house, my grandmother had, you know, as I said, what used to be the bunk room on the on that main level, she converted it into the living room and up above that was her master bedroom. And so my grandfather snored, so he slept in a separate room. So my grandmother had this what I thought at the time was palatial master bedroom with, again, windows on three sides overlooking the water. And so she had her bed and all the grandkids would get to sleep in Grammy's room. And there was yeah, right. only there was only one extra bed. It was a fold out army cot, actually. And the oldest grandchild who was there got to sleep in the cot. Everyone else had to sleep on the floor. And so, but we would all spread out with our sleeping bags and our pillows and, you know, bring our stuffed animals from home and whatever. And we would all be laying out on the floor and everyone would finally be in bed and quiet. And it would be quiet for about two minutes. And then my grandma would say, she would say, okay, who wants to hear a true story? Because you know, I only tell true stories. Every single night we ever stayed overnight at Grammy's house. That's how it would start. Who wants to hear a true story? And she would tell us some story about, you know, my grandfather being a pest and, you know, yeah. 
yeah. given her chocolates that she hated or, you know, her her time when she and her sister went to Girl Scout camp up there or things that that my great grandfather had designed it. You know, it was whatever story she thought of for that day. In that moment. For that moment. Do you know, do you know there's this lovely thing like, you know, you think of a bunk room. And it's a rite of passage mm -hmm. to A, be allowed to come in the bunk room yep. and B, be allowed to sleep on a top bunk for kids. These are rites of passage. You know, you you, you earn the right to do these yeah. things. They're not just you can have it. Right. And uh, and you, you earn it with your peers. And then when you think of um, rituals and traditions, the rhythm of them, you know, the, the rhythm of your your grandmother telling those stories and the rhythm of like every summer on um, soon as this finished okay. summer holiday started boom the family went there you know like these are these are rituals and traditions and and you know like the i know the stories you've told me of you know the washing up and, mm -hmm. and you know at the end of it and this is the stories that your kids and and you know their kids if they're in those in those spaces get to keep telling and this is when we talk about i suppose legacy homes as opposed to right. um just forever homes and those kind of things it's mm -hmm. like you're building you're building stories forever that will get passed down well and absolutely and and also that it's that it's beyond the building. So I mentioned that, you know, my great grandfather's house, the house that he bought had to be sold um, when my grandfather needed some assistance. So my husband and I were newly married and, you know, we didn't have any money and we couldn't buy the house. And, you know, we were just working and, you know, doing our own thing, but making kids. <laughs> Not yet, but yes. Um, but my mother, and one of her sisters, both independently, without telling each other, as soon as that house was sold, went out and bought another vacant lot on or with lake access so that yeah. they could still get in the water. And I yeah. actually own that lot today that was that my yeah. mother went and purchased. So while I have lost the house, that handrail that my great grandfather designed and the winder stairs and that balcony. I haven't lost my water. And yeah. it sounds sort of silly to say that if you've never had your water. But for me, it was super important. And for my mother, which is why she did that, was so that for me and for my children, her grandchildren would have that same access to that water that I did and that she did because of her grandparents and my grandparents. And so we haven't built on our lot yet. Um, partially because when you're married to an architect, you can not agree on, <laughs> what, to hire on, on what your dream, on what your dream home might look like. Um, oh, I love but that. we will eventually. And that's our goal yeah. is that, you know, that we will have that water forever. I did a fabulous podcast with a couple from um, Austin, Texas, who are both architects. And architects sort of of note, you know, like they've got yeah. they've got some important work around. And they designed their own home. And uh, I was doing this podcast with them. And I don't know them. I hadn't met them before. I know of them. And uh, I said, so was there a time when you said, one of you, and I want to know if it did, who was first to say it, 
we need to hire an architect. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they said there was. Uh, I don't doubt it. <laughs> I don't doubt it. And they, yeah, they, they, they had their home on the AIA Austin's um, Open Homes Tour this yeah, year. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was just so interesting because I have the same people say to me about our house, they'll go, so, you know, did you design your own home and all the rest? And I go, wow, well, it's kind of awesome. It's my wife's home. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not my home. It's, it's, you know, it's a joint proposition. Right. And, um, I suppose, you know, if, if I don't get enough of what I want out of the decision, well, then I don't really make it happen. Or if it's up to me or, you know, vice versa, it's like, sure. and we're very different people right. as well. Yeah. No, so, my, my husband and I are very different as well. And, and that's really part of our storytelling is figuring out what's important to us in yeah. our house and you know those aren't always the same things which you know i tell clients that all the time i sort of joke with them that you know i sort of work as architect as marriage counselor because oh. all the yeah. ugly comes out right when you're when you're designing a new house and and i tell people so you know at some point i'm going to know all your you know your dirty little yeah yeah, yeah dirty and, linen's going to come and, out yeah. and it's not just because they're ratting each other out or they're bickering or they're fighting which yeah. absolutely does happen but yeah. because at some point, you know, I need to know how they live in the house, right? Absolutely. So, and I and I tell people, and I say this on the very first call, at some point, if we're designing a master bathroom for you, I'm going to have to know when you're standing there dripping wet in the shower, where do you want to reach for your shower? Or, or for yeah, the yeah, towel, your towel. For the yeah, towel. Yeah, or your robe. And, yeah. and people's eyes always get sort of big and look at me like, what? Is this lady crazy? And But... But it's true. A little. Because, a little. Well, yes, a little crazy. <laughs> but because it matters, right? Yeah. And and so much of what we design as architects is personal preference. So how I would design a house for me doesn't have anything to do with how I'm going to design a house for you. And, that's it. And yeah. that, and it's that's, not your house. Exactly. I'm not ever yeah. going to live there. And so yeah. those little details matter. And while they don't matter on day one, they matter eventually and we want to make sure we have those conversations sooner than later and that's true regarding where you're going to hang your towel bar or yeah. which way you want the house to face on your lakefront property or what yeah. property you want to have and do you really want it on lauderdale lakes in wisconsin or do you want it on chain of lakes in illinois or do you want it in you know Utah? this is a really important thing as well because understanding each of those environments like you do is really important when you're having those first discussions if people haven't bought their land if okay. they haven't bought their water yet then being able to um understand the differences between them uh, certainly where i live here um i can tell you you know if you're facing this way or this way this is what's going to change and and that doesn't mean that um any which way is better than the other necessarily it just means this is how your house is going to live and right. how you're gonna how you're gonna have to live in your house there's going to be some climatic climatic things that are going to change that exactly i love exactly i love those questions for people one of my <laughs> favorite is is just saying to them so i've got a couple of questions about you know um you guys um what time do you go to bed yeah and they like look at me and i'm like well and and do you go to bed at the same time and they're going, where is this going? Like, right, you know, where is right. this going? And um, then I might say, and which side do you sleep on? 
Mm-hmm. And I'll always, if there's a man and a woman in there, I'll, you know, a male female relationship, I'll always ask the woman that first. Yeah. And that the man will prickle because some other man is asking his wife. Right. Right. What time she Personal goes to information, birth and, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's my property. You know, it's right. Like, um, <laughs> and then, uh, like, I love the little, just that little moments of tension yeah. that it creates. And then playing with them, you know, playing with them like that and then being able to go, okay, cool, with that information, we can make some decisions like this. I had a young couple the other day who I was talking to and um, I said, you know, this is going to be a question you don't have to answer. Um, And, you know, like, just close me down quickly if you want to. But are you going to have kids? Yeah. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. And I said, okay, cool. Well, so about when are you planning that? And I saw this look go between them. <laughs> I, went, I went, oh, okay, so that's not resolved yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and anyway, so she she didn't answer in the end, and he did. He said, oh, well, within a couple of years. And I said, cool. And I said, um, so can you tell me which side of the bed you sleep on? And I looked straight at her and said that, and she goes, oh. And she did that thing where she reorientated yeah. herself physically. And then when I sleep on this side, and I said, okay. And they'd drawn a few little maps of what they were thinking in their home. And uh, and um, I said, and it's an, a renovation. And I said, okay. I said, I don't know that you'd want to lay a room out that way. And she looks at me, and he looks at me, and I said, well, you're going to kick your toe on the bed constantly to her. I said, when you've got kids and you're dog tired and they're screaming down the hallway there, you're going to walk around that bed. Yeah. If I orientated the bed in the room this way, then I can get you a clear passage. I said, right. don't worry about don't worry about him. He's not going to kick his toe on the bed half right. as much as you. He's going to pretend he's asleep. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And Um, it's all of those stories that matter. And some of that is you bringing your story from your personal experience to the design table. As I do it, I have many of my clients are young families. And, you know, they say, oh, well, we want to tear down all these walls so that, you know, when I'm standing in the kitchen, I can see my toddlers in the living room. And I say, great. I'm happy to do that for you. A hundred percent. I did the same thing with my kids when my when they were toddlers. Um, yeah. But I can tell you, now that I have two teenagers, they want more walls, more doors, more physical separation, um, You know, especially now with remote learning. But they want yeah. to be as far away from each other as possible. And so having one big open space is great in theory when we all want to be using that same space yes. together, yes. when we want to use the same space together, when... Yeah when they you know are fighting over who wants to be with whose friends at which tv and which you know then it's warfare and i have that from my story to be able to bring that to my clients and say i a hundred percent understand with toddlers that you want to be you want to be able to see where they are at every time at every minute that day is going to come to an end (laughs) one of the things with that is is you know when you've had toddlers, you realize that they want to see where you are and they'll hang around you wherever you are anyway. They don't want to be exactly. that far. Exactly. You know, they, they, they kind of hang in your zone. But when they hit, you know, sort of like 12 years old, they suddenly just disappear. They, they're like, you right. go, where did the kids go? 
And right. the, the first initial shock is, is you're not falling over them. And then you settle into, oh, wow, I've got some space around me finally. Right. I forgot what this felt like, you know, and, and exactly. then it's like a progression from there. And then, that, and, that, then at, and then at 17, as you well know, then yeah. it's like, have I seen my child today? I'm not sure. Oh, look. <laughs> Let me look, check. My, where, my where's old... my iPhone? <laughs> Let's see where they are. Yeah. My eldest at 18, um, I, I'm, I'm querying her now. Like, I've never worried about where she is or what she's doing. I go to her, so are, are you home this week? Or right. are you, you know, like, because she's got total freedom and you know, she'll go house sitting or dog sitting yeah. or something like that. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm here these days. I'm, yeah. But then I'm gone. And, yeah, that's a, it's yeah. a whole nother thing, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for our COVID society at the moment because otherwise she would have probably jumped on a plane and left. Yeah. Uh, and and not that she doesn't love being at home, just she would have – that was her plan. Sure. And if that, if that had happened, we'd – probably have lost it for another year. Right. So we're getting to hang on to it, which yeah. is really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting my, to keep it. my children's feeling are the opposite is they're still in high school, so they still have to be here. And we're pretty much locked in the house together, the four of us. So wow. <laughs> it's a good well, thing that we have some challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, let's finish up with something yeah. um, that is um, a, a really good personal question i think uh -oh. so i know your love of road trips and i yeah. know your love of music and and all those kind of things so with all that sort of like long diversity and places you go and you know like you're a traveler you're a person who loves to go places especially road tripping and you know you you'll have your playlists and stuff how did you end up marrying another architect? <laughs> How did you end up in the same, same relationship? It's all my dad's fault. Now, actually, um, it's, again, it's part of my story. So my parents divorced when I was a year and a half old. So I honestly don't even remember them being married. And because my parents were both librarians and academics, they worked for different universities. And uh -huh. so my mom primarily stayed working for universities in the Chicago area. And my dad kept moving to different universities. So when my parents, okay. when my parents divorced, actually we lived in Nebraska and my dad worked at University of Nebraska and then he moved to the University of New Mexico and was at Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado and then he was at Boise State wow. University in Boise, Idaho and then he retired in St. George, Utah and so all of that is part of my story in that I lived during the school year in the Chicago area with my mom and I would go essentially spend my whole summers living with my dad and we would, you know, do that road trip back and forth twice a year to have my parents meet in the middle so we could swap kids. And so, yeah, wow. and sometimes, you know, we did a lot of times in, you know, Oklahoma City, which is kind of in the middle-ish, not much excitement wow. there. And sometimes we would say the middle is Denver, or sometimes it was in Montana. Oh, so we had a lot of road trips just trying to, you know, sort of change up where yeah. that meet in the middle space was. Um, and I have, my dad's family is very large. My dad was the oldest of six who lived all over the country. And so we would road trip to California to see my dad's 
mother, or we would travel, you know, to the East Coast to see other members of the family. Uh, one of my dad's sisters also lived in in Utah. So, you know, we were always up and down the West. And so finally, one time I had a big enough fight with my mother when I was in high school. She said, right. you want to go live with your dad? Fine, go. Do it. <laughs> and I don't think she really thought I was going to do it, but I did. And so it actually was spring break of 1989, 90. That was spring break of 1990. And I helped my dad. He was, that's when he was getting his new job at Boise State University. So I helped my dad move from Colorado to Idaho. And he and I took a road trip um, and we did that road trip. And so I actually graduated from my senior year of high school in Boise. So you decided to be an architect at this point or not? No, I I knew I was going to be an architect at age five and I never really changed. I never changed. Um, And so I graduated from high school in Idaho. And then when I was looking for colleges, my mom, of course, assumed I was going to come back to Illinois and go to go to the University of Illinois, which was her alma mater. And, you know come back and be Midwest. Um, But I went the other way. I only looked at West Coast schools and I actually ended up going to college at the University of Idaho, which my mother still to this day will tell me is the wrong U of I. Um, (laughs) But I went to Idaho instead of Illinois. Um, But part of our forever story is uh, my husband, Henry, had been at U of I, but I did not meet him until fourth year studio and well, sorry just just go back at the wrong u of i at the wrong u of i right yeah, right, right, right to the wrong right, u of i and yeah. and he he walked in second semester at fourth year studio in northern idaho right middle of nowhere lentil fields just literally uh-huh. teeny tiny town and he's wearing the chicago cubs jacket and i right. thought well now Okay. He's either stolen it with. or it could be. This is it. There's, there's, there's a prospect here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that's that's when I met him. And um, so we were in school together for a year and a half. And we only started dating literally the last month before graduation. And uh, I said, you know, hey, I'm moving back home to go to Chicago. I was coming back here to get my master's degree in urban planning. And I said, I'm kind of looking for a roommate. You want to move? And he said, sure. And the day after, day after graduation, I moved back here. And three months later, he literally showed up on my doorstep. <laughs> wow. Wow. And that that's was so uh, cool. 1996. So, yeah. But so that's how I managed to marry an architect. And, you know, I know an awful lot of architects who meet their spouses in studio yeah. just because you're you're together, you know, all the time in architecture school. That's just, you know, sort of like. Yeah. Look, I met my wife, you know, in the same workplace as well. Like I lived yeah. in New Zealand. She lived in Australia. She was a New Zealander. And um, I met her in a meeting one day and um we just became great friends over several years and yeah and then it, it kind of a funny story is paralleling to yours i said to her hey i'm moving to england and um she'd been telling me how she was um you know she was going to leave her job and i said i'm moving to england do you want to come and she's like what and i said i'm we're just great mates yeah and i said um 
yeah, I'm moving to England and uh, I'm going to do this job in England where I'm setting up design for a company and uh, or for the company because we both work in the same company um, for Europe and um, I'm heading that up and yeah, do you, do you want to come? And she's like, huh? Like, <laughs> I said, it's okay, I'll just send you a ticket, you know, and yeah, you can always go back. She goes, we've never even been on a date. And I'm like, yeah, I know that, but we can sort that out. <laughs> that's fantastic yeah it's a parallel story kind of thing oh you know? my gosh that's so funny her, you know everybody thought she was absolutely nuts when she did it because they hadn't met me either um and i think it was her grandmother who said go 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 and do it go and live yeah, yeah why not yeah, go on, go on. exactly you've got a ticket you can always Go home. You can always run away. You can do whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You can leave as quickly it's as you funny. went. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. That's Too so funny. funny. That's so funny. <laughs> well, you know, so it's that road trip mentality that that you know really got me to Idaho, which is where I met Henry. And that you know that all came from my dad. And my dad was yeah. was so big on road tripping and music and. And that's just who he was, which made me who I am, which is all, you know, yeah. part of my story. And your kids will your kids story. will have that story as well. Yeah. I thought yeah. there was a, a, a thing that you, you told me earlier this. Um, and it was, you know, every big design begins with a story. Yeah. Let us tell your story, which is the tagline that you um, use for your business. And then the fact that... Your, both your parents were librarians and so they were housing stories right. they were organizing and housing stories that libraries hold and I went there's such a beautiful story parallel in yeah that. well and it's um, and it's, yeah. it's funny like I mentioned earlier it really sort of hit me as as you know my father just passed away a couple of weeks ago yeah and I had a 19 hour drive essentially from Vegas to Chicago on route 66, um, almost the whole drive that I, it was just me and just my dad's playlist of story songs, really all of his favorite music and my favorite music are really, um, from storytellers. And it really hit me somewhere in, you know, Northern Texas and Oklahoma that, that my tagline cannot be coincidental that I had sort of, you know, a few years ago, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, thought of this dream that, you know, that every design begins with a story. So let me tell your story. And those are the taglines that I use for my business. And I thought, you know, I was coming up with this genius, you know, let me tell your story. (laughs) But as I'm driving across, you know, Northern Texas by myself, you know, crying over some sad song that my dad loved, I'm realizing that my dad loved the stories and my grandmother loved the stories and telling stories is in my blood. And, and even if it's not my story to tell, I'm here to help others tell their story and figure out what their story is. Well, I think that's a really key point. Like the thing is, is that you are listening to stories and you're also telling stories and in your business as an architect and, and residential architect, you are telling other people's stories. So you have to be this empathetic listener 
to understand that. And then there's what the land and the water tell you as well. That, that's another story. That's that's the environment telling you right. a story. Right. And then you have the story of, um, you know, like the county as well, what its, what its regulations and things are. And then you kind of pull all these stories together. And in doing that, you overlay the strongest story, which is that of the people whose home it's going to be. Exactly. And that's exactly. where you create that whole picture, pull it together, you know. How hard could architecture be? It's just a few lines on paper. <laughs> right. Well, and, and right, and that's the thing that's so comical is you get the phone calls that say, hey, can you just, can you just draw me up a plan for the village real quick? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no worries. We sure. can. We can. It'll, um, it'll take us around four months, maybe six or right. a year. And, yeah. and the reality is, I probably could, but I'm not that kind of architect because I'm interested in the story. And there are plenty of architects who aren't, and that's totally yeah. fine. But that's not me, and that's that's not the type of work that I love to do. And that's not the type of work that people hire me to do. And that's really sort of how we came to this whole, you know, whispering, the the yes. land whispering and the lake whispering. Yeah. And the, you know, I, I do all of that based on not only on my experience and where I've road tripped and where I've lived all over the country and the places that I've been and the places that I've seen and the, the people that I've met, but, but really, combining all of that experience, all of that story to help me tell other people's stories. Um, and that's what I think is really special about what I do and why, why I would never do anything else. Yeah, it's why you're not about to have a career change. No, I'm not. Because the bottom line is I'm a storyteller. And, and it really sort of hit me a few weeks ago, you know, driving across the desert, that that's what I am. I'm a storyteller. And that's that's just so much of of what I am because of my parents and because of their story and how that that made my story. Yeah, I love how special it is that, um, you know, yes, there's the architecture and there's the building and, you know, those kind of sides to it. But it's actually a way of telling somebody's story. Right. And that's that's what you're not you're not trying to tell your story you're trying to tell their story and you're well not trying to you are telling their story and you're finding out the nuances of their story and creating that i think it's an absolutely beautiful gift to a be able to do it and b to be able to give that level of story and understanding and empathy to a building for those people right Right. That's a well, and, and the fact of the matter is there's plenty of, of, of spaces or things that I've designed for people that I thought, okay, if that's what you want, seems yeah. a little strange to me, but that's part of their story, not my story. I mean, you know, as yeah. you mentioned, you know, asking clients, well, which side of the bed do you sleep on? That yeah. literally comes up with my clients all the time. I've designed a, a house for um, a couple and he is a FedEx driver. And so he gets up and leaves for work at two o'clock in the morning. And so we very meticulously designed their master bedroom suite space, you know, their space for just them, yeah. specifically so that he could get up, get showered, get dressed and get out without bothering her, still sleeping in yeah. bed, but also so that their room faced the right direction so that he wouldn't have sunlight coming in the windows while he was trying to sleep during the day. And so in the, in the afternoons. Exactly. Yeah. And so all of that comes into play where absolutely those questions matter. 
you know, yeah. and designing my, my sister's edition uh, in her house in the desert in New Mexico, you know, I come into this thinking, oh, I want all these great big, you know, windows over here and then we'll get good cross breezes. And, but the reality is she never opens her windows in the desert because they're out in the middle of nowhere and the wind blows constantly. And there's just dust everywhere. They never open their windows. And that's and that's a factor of knowing that land, of whispering that land. Yeah, and absolutely. how, as an architect, I would have to leave behind sort of what I would do for a, a typical kitchen design, for example. Yes. It doesn't work yeah. for them because of the way they're That's happening. the land. The land's that's, developing that story. And it, exactly. it's meshing together. Exactly. Well, and the, it's and it's combining all those factors together that that make the space work for for each individual uh, family and their home and their land or their water. I love it. I love it. That's been the most inspiring chat. <laughs> I really love it. I love that story side of everything. It's yeah. um, it's awesome. Cinda, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. Oh, you're welcome <laughs> as always.